Good evening, guys. It's so good to see all your faces. Glad you're here to worship uh, our God and King today. It's good to be with you. Uh, I've been away for a little bit. Went to uh, St. Louis, traveling with family to go see family. So that was really good, but very good to be back here with church family as well. Is this sounding? Are we good? Feels like it's a little... Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds a little robotic or tinny or something, but I... I trust my man in the back to figure it out. So, thank you, Chris. Um, yeah, it's, we can change it up if we need to. Um, and yeah, just um, you know, missed Thanksgiving with y'all. So I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. But glad uh, that it's Advent. I can't believe that it's the second week of Advent already, and uh, we are just keeping on rolling. So what that means in terms of our preaching and uh, the message today. And you know this if you were here last week, um, is that we are kind of dusting off an old sermon series idea that we uh, enjoyed. I'm going to say we enjoyed it together a few weeks back, or sorry, not weeks back, a few years back. And it's this uh, series that we titled Anthems of Advent. Uh, And so this is uh, what we're doing. The, The whole idea of this series is that we will be each week kind of highlighting the biblical riches and kind of key scripture passages that kind of sit at the root of and serve as the foundation for some of these kind of most just really dearly beloved, um, you know, classic, most sung Christmas carols, Advent hymns, and so on. So that's, that's the idea of what we're doing in each of these weeks as we get closer to Christmas. And so today, our passage... Uh, Advent passage that we're looking at is from the book of Isaiah, looking at Isaiah 60, chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 60, verses 18, 19, and 20 will be the reading, Um, and uh, we'll be connecting that to this hymn, the the first one we sang out of the the gate, which is, O Little Town of Bethlehem, and, um, you know, this is, in a sense, it's a standalone dive into Isaiah, so I'll read the text in just a moment. But I want to start by giving us a little bit of context uh, since we're just parachuting into this book. So just in general, Isaiah, uh, just to kind of frame our minds in that direction, is a, it's, a, it's a long book. It's uh, considered a major prophet, uh, 66 chapters altogether. And uh, generally, you know, very broad strokes. Isaiah, about roughly the first half, we could say, is uh, focused primarily on judgment God's judgment of Israel and also of the nations. And then it kind of takes a turn about halfway through and begins to be a little bit more focused on comforting the people of Israel, the blessing of Israel, and how that too kind of filters out to the nations. And so, uh, you know, you know, as I'm saying, if we're in Isaiah 60, that that means we're in that kind of good, comforting, encouraging part of the book. So, you're welcome. You know, we're not in the judgment section here tonight uh, as we're in Advent. So that's big picture, kind of a bit of a frame for us as we come into this reading. Um, so how's, how's the mic? Are we, can I keep going like this? Or do we need to change something? Right? Okay. All right. So we'll keep going. Why don't we stand now? Uh, sorry to, to do the holy uh, calisthenics with you tonight. But um, yeah, you like that? But um, yeah, so let's hear together God's word. 
this is the word of the Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah to his people. Chapter 60, picking up in verse 18. God's word says this. Violence shall no more be heard in your land, devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of mourning shall be ended. It's God's word. Remain standing. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to be together. Thank you for the the joy that we have already had together. Thank you for uh, the scriptures that have been read, the prayers that have been prayed, the ways you have been at work edifying, the songs sung, Lord, drawing us to yourself, refreshing us in your truth. In, In what is left of this time or under scriptures, I ask that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. Because you are our Lord, our rock, and our faithful Redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right. So, Isaiah. It's a great book, it's a rich book. Um, As I alluded to just a moment ago, there's so much in this Old Testament major prophet. And just right out of the gate, I just want to encourage you, in these weeks leading up to Christmas, if you are feeling a little bit, like, lost in your spiritual life, or, you know, you haven't been in God's Word in a while, um, and you don't know where to begin, I encourage you just to make Isaiah your book for this Advent season. Aim to read all the way through it, all 66 chapters, from, you know, today all the way through till Christmas. Because it is, it is just such a treasure trove of riches. And there, there will be stuff that will convict you of sin. There will be stuff that will encourage you and build you up. And so uh, just sink, sink into it uh, in these weeks. And uh, you will not be disappointed, I promise. Um, that said, though, I just want to continue to give us a little bit of a flavor of the book. And as I was uh, reading a commentary this week... Thinking about Isaiah, I found this um, section in this one book I was reading about the theme and the purpose of this major prophet. So I want to read it because I think it'll be helpful for us as we continue to talk about the particular verses that we want to look at here tonight and connect it to our our anthem uh, as well. So about theme and purpose of Isaiah, one commentator says this. says, while it is difficult to identify a single unifying theme in the book of Isaiah... It seems appropriate to recognize Isaiah's depiction, multiple depictions of God as the Holy One of Israel and as the faithful deliverer of his people as a common uniting theme of the book. Indeed, he continues, Indeed, the God of Israel is the holy God who faithfully restores his people and fulfills his promises. Theme, purpose, big picture what Isaiah is doing, what it's about. God faithfully restoring his people, fulfilling his promises. You can see why it's good to spend some time in this book. It is, uh, it's a treasure trove, like I said. 
And big picture, this helps us as we're looking at these verses in chapter 60. Because as we are kind of pulling out these particular verses, and we're, we're going to sink into a particular theme that our hymn writer uh, picks up on as well. And uh, that is this theme that we see repeated twice in our text of the Lord being the everlasting light of his people. See this, as I said, twice in these three verses that I read. I want to read them again just to frame our minds and sink our minds upon them. Verse 19, Isaiah writes, But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Verse 20, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. It's beautiful parallelism, driving home, the thing that they are both in agreement on and centered on is this idea of the Lord being the everlasting light of his people. And that is the truth tonight, that that is the promise that we want to reflect on this evening, and also that really is the bridge from this chapter, the bridge from Isaiah 60 to this particular anthem of Advent that is also uh, our focus this evening, which I think I said a moment ago in the intro is, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And so as we think about this this particular anthem uh, song, this Advent Christmas carol, we see right away that in the very first verse of this hymn, there is this mention uh, of the everlasting light. I want to, again, read this for us, verse 1 of this song. The hymn writer says, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. This is a picture of tranquility, peace. Goes on, above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. It's, it's nighttime, there's stars in the sky. Continues, yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. In other words, you know, we could ask a question as we look at this. Uh, just the beginning of this song, this hymn. And the question could be, and as we look at our verses in Isaiah, the question is, when the everlasting light himself appears, when the everlasting light himself, the God of Israel, shows up, what happens in the world? When he, when he enters the world, what happens? I think the answer that the, the hymn writer is telling to us and that we are seeing from these three verses in Isaiah is that when the everlasting light shows up, darkness is dispelled. Darkness is pushed, pushed out, cast out, and it is replaced by light. The light of God, God's truth, floods in, fills that space. Darkness has no chance when light shows up. All things dreadful, all things fearful, all things grievous and ominous, all of those things, when the light shows up, those things are confronted, they are pushed out, they are ultimately defeated. It's the negative, the flip side, the positive, all things good, all things 
hoped for in the gospel, in light of God's promises and in his word, hoped for things become actualized when the everlasting light shows up in flesh, becomes one of us, becomes part of the world, dwells with us. That is, I think, what is going on. What's, that's what Isaiah is talking about in these verses. And it's what, what the hymn writer is having us sing about in this carol, this song. So um, I want to spend a little bit more time thinking about this idea of the everlasting light, the impact of the everlasting light showing up in the world, in our lives. Um, but before I do that, I want to tell a little bit of the, kind of the story of the hymn itself and give a little bit of so, some uh, kind of background story for how this hymn came to be. You guys good with a little backstory on Old Little Town of Bethlehem? Okay. Saw some smiles and some nods, so I'm going to run with it. So it's really actually, I didn't know this, you know, I hadn't ever researched the backstory of this hymn, go figure, uh, but it's really kind of a fun story. Um, as, I, as I kind of dug in and, and found some facts about what happened here. And um, try and keep it a little bit more brief, but really the idea is that this hymn came about as it's a co- co- collaboration of two guys working together to make this hymn what it, what it is. The first guy is the author of the lyrics, the words, you know, the poetic verses, uh, who's a pastor by the name of Philip Brooks. Uh, Phillips Brooks, actually, American guy born in 1835. Um, So he wrote the words, and then secondly, he's collaborating with this music guy, this composer, uh, who is, uh, goes by the name Lewis Redner. So these two guys are working together. And as the story goes, this pastor, Mr. Brooks, who was serving, pastoring at one point uh, in his life for a number of years alongside this this music guy, uh, Mr. Lewis Redner. Um, This pastor has the opportunity, neat opportunity, uh, in the year 1866 to actually spend Christmas in Israel. He gets to leave, you know, the States, fly over Christmas time, and be in Israel, be even in Bethlehem, 1866. And kind of just see all the sights and, you know, even see, the, you know, the spot where they say, hey, this might have been the place where, you know, the nativity happened, where Jesus was born. So he has this, this wonderful, as, as you might expect, as I think any of us, you know, I know a few of us in this room have taken that trip, have been to Israel. Teresa Reed, right? You've been? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, so it's a neat opportunity. He takes it. He does it. Has a wonderful time. Is inspired uh, in all kinds of ways. Fast forward, two years later, he's back in the States, he's pastoring, he's doing his normal life, job stuff. Now it's Advent, uh, sorry, excuse the, the pop there. It's Advent 1868, two years later. Christmas is looming, it's coming fast, it's right around the corner. And this pastor, Pastor Brooks, is beginning to think about what's going to happen on uh, the you know, Christmas Day, the Christmas service. And he begins thinking back to his, you know, firsthand experience that he had a couple of years prior in Israel, even in Bethlehem. And he decides he wants to sit down and, and kind of sets out to write this, this song, this musical hymn for the Sunday school service for Christmas Day. 
So that's what he does. He sits down, he starts writing out these poetic verses, thinking back to his firsthand experience in Israel. He writes it out, does it. And then, of course, what does he do? Well, you know, he, he writes the verses, but he's not the music guy. So he hands them off to his, his partner in ministry, Redner, trusty, trusty guy, and says, hey, make this singable. <laughs> make this into music so that we can use it on Christmas Day and, and sing it as, as a church. And so, you know, the clock is ticking. And so actually, it's, it's kind of a fun story. I actually found a firsthand account, and I want to read a little bit of it uh, for us here. From, this is from the perspective of the, the music guy, uh, Louis Redner, as he's thinking about trying to finish this hymn in time for them to practice it and do it on Christmas Day. So uh, Redner writes this. He says, uh, As the Christmas of 1868 approached, Mr. Brooks told me that he had written a simple little carol for the Christmas Sunday service, uh, sorry, Christmas Sunday school service, and he asked me to write the tune to it. The simple music was written in great haste and under great pressure. We were to practice it on the following Sunday. Mr. Brooks came to me on Friday and said, Redner, have you ground out that music yet to O Little Town of Bethlehem? I replied, no, but that he should have it by Sunday. On the Saturday night previous, my brain was all confused about the tune. I thought more about my Sunday school lesson than I did about the music. But I was roused from sleep late in the night, hearing an angel strain whispering in my ear. And seizing a piece of music paper, I jotted down the treble of the tune as we now have it. And on Sunday morning, before going to church, I filled in the harmony. He concludes, Neither Mr. Brooks nor I ever thought the carol or the music to it would live beyond that Christmas of 1868. And yet, it very much has. We're still singing it. How many years later? And... uh, you know, I love the, just the, the details in that account. I don't know if uh, that was putting you to sleep or whether you were tracking with that long quotation. Um, but I, there are so many kind of fun nuggets in there just about, you know, him being honest about this, you know, ministry life that he's experiencing and his interactions with this pastor and uh, all of these things, how he was all confused. Um, but really, you know, when it comes down to it, to me, I think it's, you know, he says he didn't think that that this hymn would live on, and yet it, it did. And I think the reason it did is, of course, on one level, you know, just God's providence. He said, hey, I want that hymn sung in my church. So he, he, he got it going. But also, I think because it, it, this hymn lived on, it has blessed many because it is rooted deeply in the truth of God's word. And it's connected, like so many of these hymns that we're talking about in these weeks, to the scriptures, the, the word that God's, uh, the story that God's word is telling us about, about the nativity, the prophecies, all of these things, which connects us all the way back to where we started talking about Isaiah 60, talking about these verses where we see this emphasis on God as the everlasting light showing up, being present, dwelling with his people. That's why the hymn continues to bless even today. So, 
all that backstory, I don't know, was that worth it? That was a chunk of time. Yeah, okay. So two kind of where I want to go the rest of the time here before we go to the communion table. Just two quick kind of implications, applications uh, of, you know, what what is the impact of the everlasting light showing up, coming into, entering this sin-darkened world, this uh, cracked uh, world that struggles in so many ways? How does that affect things? So first uh, idea, reflection is this, is that because the God who is the everlasting light has appeared in the person of Jesus Christ and has dwelt among us, we now today have this guarantee. And this guarantee is that all things dark, all things fearful, all things ominous will one day be fully wiped out, fully dealt with, confronted, put away forever and ever. Defeated and done. Dark, fearful things have an expiration date because of the everlasting light that has come and will come again. In our text, uh, we see these allusions in multiple places, places to these kind of dark, kind of fearful, ominous things Verse 18, we see a reference to to violence, to devastation, to destruction. All of these things Isaiah is talking about because he's talking to the people of Israel and he's saying these are things uh, that have happened in in your story, in your land, in Israel. In some situations, uh, just because it's a broken world and in, in many situations, as we're looking at this prophecy of judgment, at least the first half, because of Israel's sin. Because Israel has not uh, worshipped the Lord only, but because they have been idolatrous and gone after other gods. And so the Lord has brought this, this judgment and even has used other nations to bring this, as we're seeing, violence, devastation, destruction on his people. As he warned them that he would, even way back at the beginning of the story. So we, we see these fearful things, these realities here. He, we also see verse, verse 20. Uh, this allusion to days of mourning, which makes sense if you're, if you're living in this moment and context and you're seeing devastation, destruction, that there would be days of mourning in light of these things. We, you know, if we think, extrapolate this out, the things that are fearful and dreadful to us, it might be similar things that we're seeing Isaiah highlighting. But we could also add to these things. I know we live in a day where there's, there's all kinds of disease and sickness and illness. I think just even in our church, even though it's not world-ending, there's just been so many families rocked in so many ways just by constant sickness and illness, right? It can, be, can really be a drag on the heart and on the soul. We all have our things. Sometimes they're obvious to others around us, and sometimes they're not. And yet into the midst of this broken reality. The everlasting light shines. The everlasting light has come. The scriptures tell us that Jesus Christ came in flesh as an infant, as a human being. He came to that little town of Bethlehem. And because he came and because he has promised to come again, we have this guarantee 
that these things are not forever. That the ache and the pain and the fear won't have the final word. They will be. Uh, as uh, we read in the, the Sally Laura Jones, the Jesus Storybook Bible, she talks about how all, all these hard things become untrue at the end of the story. I think that's, that's a good word. These, these things will become less and less true and become totally untrue when we are in God's presence completely. Early on uh, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 2, Isaiah writes about, uh, you know, we're thinking about violence as a reality in our world, destruction. Isaiah writes that there will be this day where the Lord is going to judge between the nations and decide disputes among the people. And he says that uh, in the, at this time, people everywhere will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. It's this idea that there's a day coming when there will be no more violence. Violence will be put away. The weapons of war will be done. And we will, uh, you know, be turning these things that were used to harm others into, you know, things that we can use as tools to produce food. Why will that day come? Well, it'll come because Jesus is the everlasting light and he will come again as he has promised. We read, uh, you know, there's a really, um, so, so many ways as we read uh, the Bible as one whole complete story, we see bookends, we see things in early on that tie to the end. And, you know, Isaiah 60 is one of those places that ties very much to the end of the story that we see in Revelation. Look at Revelation, especially chapter 21, and we see that this is a place where these promises of God, God shows up, he there's uh, promises that God says he will wipe away every tear from the eyes of his people. He says that death will be no more when he shows up. That mourning and crying and pain, all these things will be done away with and will pass away. Because he has arrived as the everlasting light. So that is our, our first kind of reflection implication so because Jesus is the everlasting light, when he comes, these dark things, hard things will be pushed out and pushed back and ultimately defeated. Secondly, uh, much more briefly, second application here is that because the God who is the everlasting light has appeared and dwelt among us, all those who believe in him, anyone who puts faith in him, believe that he is who he says he was, they get to live in the light of his presence. Get to live in the light of Jesus' glory, his personal presence with them forever and ever. Uh, It makes me think of, again, connecting the whole story together. Uh, Early on, the first few books of the Bible, we, we read especially of how God was present with his people through the tabernacle and the temple this place called the Holy of Holies. And this was the place where God's you know, presence and spirit uniquely dwelled in this powerful way, this most holy place. And yet this was a place where only one guy could go one time a year to be in this presence of God. And yet what we're reading in Isaiah prophesied and what we see in Revelation ultimately is that that, that intensity, that beauty, that power of God's presence 
isn't just for one person at one time. As we look to the promises being fulfilled here, it's, it's everyone can come into his presence and enjoy this reality together in and through the blood of Christ. We see uh, Isaiah talking in verse 18 about how this future heavenly city will be a place uh, it says, you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. It goes on, he talks about how, you know, you won't need the moon, you won't need the sun, because again, you know, the Lord is going to be your light. He'll be with you. All of this points to the fact that, that this future reality that we are heading towards, this, even this future city, is a place that is defined completely by the personal presence of God personal presence of the Lord himself with us. It's a good uh, it's a good picture, it's a good promise to hope in, to rest in. And again we see this uh, in Revelation 21 verse 23 where John says, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. The lamp, you know, the lamb that was slain now becomes the lamp for his people in this new eternal city. So anyone who believes in him, that is what is waiting, this personal presence forever and ever. Jesus himself talks about this when he walked among us in flesh. Uh, The Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 12 John writes, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That is Jesus in his first coming saying, hey, I am the light of life. He's he's even pulling from what Isaiah is saying here. I am the light. As long as you have me, you have the light. And when he comes again, he will bring the light again. and The darkness will be done. His personal presence with us, Emmanuel. It's the hope of Christmas, the promise of Christmas, what we look forward to in Advent in this time of expectation. We practice our hearts, setting the, our hearts on the right thing, which is him coming again. So, uh, I need to close. So let me, let me close this uh, by reading this verse, again, just one more time, in all that we have said and reflected on uh, of this hymn. Verse one. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, um, sometimes it feels like there are lots of dark streets in our lives. And uh, Lord, you say that when you show up, the darkness is done. So Lord, I pray that you would continue to lift our hearts, encourage our, uh, our spirits, Lord, with this truth, that you are the everlasting light, that you came in flesh, that you will come in flesh again. And Lord, that day will be a good one. 
Lord, set our hearts on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.